0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: The secret of every great leader lies in their heart. St. Paul shows us what's in his heart during four great speeches that he gives throughout the Acts of the Apostles. Let's listen to the speech he gives in front of the Arapagus in Athens and hear more of the heart of this great leader. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of Thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of Thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. John, pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm so glad that you're all with me again as we try to dive into the heart of the leadership found in St. Paul, demonstrated in the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm really excited, especially about this series with you, because St. Paul represents for us something that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. They have to make success happen. And there's no playbook by which to make it happen. There's no guarantee that if you just do this process, you're going to be fine. And entrepreneurs face this every single day. That's the reason why they're so great and why it's so hard and so few people do it. It's like, you know, people like to say, "Gosh, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right?" which is why people don't like necessarily to just throw themselves into the entrepreneurial endeavor. It's because it's not easy and anyone who thinks it's going to be easy learns very quickly that what looks simple actually requires a lot of forethought luck hard drive changes along the way constant anxiety and stress and yet if you push through there's a small chance you might succeed It's because the journey itself is the gift. I think that entrepreneurs, in a sense, they're, they're just, it's almost like a, a way that you're born. Y- you have to be the ones that innovate, that change, that move where things are not yet. You're the great explorers, the great pioneers. You're the people that, that are the visionaries for our society. And it's just so important. But it's the same thing that parents go through. I mean, there's no, it's that famous saying, right? There's no instruction book when a child is born. And so what do you do, right? Well, you, you roll up your sleeves, you make decisions, you do the best that you can. You try to advance as much as you can, given who you are and your own capacities. You put yourself on the playing field of life. And as soon as you do that, you recognize the importance that leadership has. Well, St. Paul was in the same situation as you. Remember, no one had gone towards the Gentiles. St. Peter had converted the first one, and then St. Paul it was who went off. We know that the other apostles did, in fact. St. Thomas went towards the Gentiles. St. James went towards the Gentiles. But their acts are not recorded in sacred scripture. The pattern, the model that's given to us is that of St. Paul. And his model, his pattern, was given to us by, inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and sanctioned by the church and the Bible as this missionary archetype. This is what it looks like to be a Catholic missionary. And what I just am amazed by is that it looks very much like an entrepreneurial business person. It looks very much like a young father, young mother. It looks like somebody who's thrown into life and then makes decisions as they can, rolls and adjusts. And the things that's amazing about St. Paul is that he not only rolls and adjusts, but he does so successfully. He, what he does wins. But along the way, he hit is hit in so many different ways. And he runs into so many obstacles that it's almost like what's important is not the way that St. Paul evangelized On the outside by giving speeches in synagogues, going after a few leaders, basing himself at people's houses, you know, things like that. That's very interesting, but that's not really the heart of it. The heart of it is this man whose whose soul was whittled down by constant opposition, personal persecution, settings that were against him, and who changed the course of history By allowing that inner heart almost to be unveiled, almost to be purified, so to speak, by all of the opposition against him, so that he really became the instrument of God, shining his light in the world. And that pattern of what it took for St. Paul to go that deep, that's what I want to look at with you, because that's really where we are called to imitate things. We're not necessarily able to preach like Paul. We're not even called to. I mean, if you're, if you're a lawyer or if you're a stay-at-home mom, you could say, well, how does this apply to me? It applies to you in this. The pattern of leadership in Paul that's truly great that isn't found in Paul's methodology or Paul's circumstances. It's found in the way that Paul took what was inside of him and brought it to the outside. It's found in the way that St. Paul's life radiated from his character and his outward decisions flowed from his inner person. That is the genius of Paul's leadership. And that's the genius that we can all imitate. And so what I want to look at here is where Paul shows that. And I think this speech that he gives at the Areopagus in Athens is one of the most beautiful of showing Paul's innocence and the beauty of Paul's inner, inner spirit, who Paul was as a person. Because if remember the circumstances of the speech, he had just come from Philippi, where he was beaten with rods, thrown into the inner prison cell. Released miraculously from prison by an earthquake, which, which was more than earthquake, right? Because, of course, it's an earthquake where his chains immediately fall to the ground as the chains of all the other prisoners. So it's, it's an angel that comes, sets them free. But Paul stays, baptizes his own prisoner, and then is apologized to by the townsmen who beat him with rods. And then sent on his way, and he goes to Thessalonica. What happens there? A riot ensues and drives him to Berea, where what happens? A riot ensues, and it drives him to Athens. And he finds himself alone, apart from his traveling companions, having been beaten, rioted out, you know, rejected on the road, slipping out in the middle of the night from Berea, his own friends uh, being arrested and taken in front of the courts in Thessalonica, St. Paul just finding himself almost like squeezed through this this hardship of opposition and persecution, and he finds himself alone in Athens. And it's there that he delivers a speech that I think really shows the, the purity of Paul's zeal. This is a man who had every reason to stop and who at that very point reveals to us what's the most precious thing to his heart. To win people for Christ. And I think that there, there's a great point of imitation for us all. Because we can say, why is it that God allows us to go through such things? And I think to myself, maybe it's to reveal what's deepest inside. Your greatest impact is not going to be found when you're most effective in the delivery of your skills. Your greatest impact as a leader is going to be found when your heart is the most unveiled.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: You know, in all of our endeavors as entrepreneurs, as parents, as leaders in the different fields where the Lord has put us to lead, I think all of us have something in common. And that's the, the challenge that we face from opposition, persecution, uh, lawsuits, the opposition of the daily grind, trying to find a way through market conditions changing, economic conditions changing, things that constantly are being thrown at us. It makes like you know, our, our happiest day of the week is our Fridays and our least, uh, you know, at least favorite days of the week are Mondays, you know, because well, we've got to start all over again and we're just so happy to be finished another week, another gauntlet that we ran through. And we can wonder why God allows this. Why would he let the people who are making the difference, improving this world, actually suffer the most? You know, you think all the other parents, they're just fine. They just go their way. They don't care. They just let things happen. They let other kids, people raise their kids. They let their thing, you know, and then if you try to stop and stand in the breach and say, no, we don't want to do it this way. We want to do what's good. You'll find yourself just completely ostracized. You'll find yourself, you know, with total opposition to you. And, and you could say, why, why is that the case? Why would God allow bad things to happen to the leaders in the fight for goodness. You know, I think, and then when you look at that and you couple it with just plain difficulties in the entrepreneurial adventure, and you say, God, why wouldn't God be behind me? You know, it's kind of funny because at the St. John Institute, which is the nonprofit that I run, uh, which helps business leaders, you know, I, I, I meet people all the time who, who want to support us and donate to us. And of course, we're so grateful because we live off of donations at the St. John Institute, and, and there's these people that say, I must have, I probably have over 10 people that told me, father, I'm playing the lottery. And if I win, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> and so pray for me that I win the lottery, you know, well, I've, I've been good on my end. I've done my prayers for those good people. And yet I don't think that God evidently plays the lottery <laughs> because none of them have won. I've also met good people that have said, father, if my business does well, I'm going to end up selling it, you know, giving you the money. Same thing. Evidently that's not just how it works. And you say, "Well, why not?" You know, I've met so many good people that said, "If only I could, you know, make more money at my business, I would support the church more." And you say, "That's totally logical. I'll tell that to God." And it seems like God never gets that memo. Instead, it's it's like so many times Christians struggle to perform in their leadership, perform and maintain their strength. And to and we when we do that, we say, the the natural question is why why is it so hard for me there's a poem I like very much by Gerard Manley Hopkins and I just want you to listen to this because I think it, it speaks a lot to what we feel inside he writes not I'll not carry in comfort despair not feast on thee not untwist, slack they may be, These last strands of man in me, Or, most weary, cry, I can no more, I can. Can something, hope, wish day come, Not choose not to be. But ah, uh, but oh thou terrible, Why wouldst thou root on me, Thy ring world right-foot rock, Lay a lion-limb against me, Scan with darksome, devouring eyes my bruised bones and fan. Oh, in turns of tempest, me heaped there, me frantic to avoid thee and flee. Why? That my chaff might fly, my green lie, sheer and clear. It's an amazing poem, and I, I just stopped it about halfway through because the main message is, is so powerful the poet's looking around and he's saying why is in other words is all this happening and this challenge that i'm in front of how am i going to respond to it and shall i despair and many of us do we want to despair right he says no i won't but when he he asks why why would god be like this beast upon him you know uh, fanning to flame his these these bruised bones of his heap lying on the ground right it's funny because like, I'm smiling to myself because this is like, what well, we don't want people to see, right? But as a priest, I'm in your offices. I'm with you. I'm there in your families. I see you at your worst moments. And I just know it's part of the human condition of anybody who tries, who strives to do great things that you end up feeling like you're heaped laying on the floor. And the and the poet, Gerard Manley Hopkins, he actually underlines why this happens. And he says, why... That my chaff might fly and my grain lie sheer and clear. In other words, there's a purification that happens. And God is after that purification. It's not to render your leadership less radiant, it's to render, render it more potent. When we go through opposition, we're whittled down to touch the very core of our motivation. I'm not doing it for anything else because I've lost everything else. Here's what I'm doing it for. And that when you can identify that core root, that bedrock, right? For the foundation of your building. If you can drill down that far through the mud, through the dirt, and touch that bedrock reason, this is why I do what I do. The more that that bedrock reason is close to your very identity as a person, the more unshakable you will be. And God, with, his re- with religion, God introduces into the heart of a leader the most he identifies the leadership with the identity of the person. That's what makes a Christian leader so different from a secular leader. You're not just doing a job. You're expressing an identity. I am not just filling a function here. I'm expressing who I am. And that who I am radiates through my functionality, through my skills, through my daily grind. But it radiates a quality, a presence, right, of the human person whom Christ has redeemed. And this is why the church can say that a Christian business leader is evangelizing by the very way they do their business. It's not that we do anything different on the outside employ some sort of Christian method or say Christian words. I mean, that would be wonderful if we can, but that's not what's primary. What's primary is the way that we embrace this world of business. The way that we embrace it from the very heart, it means that I'm expressing who I am through what I do. And this opposition actually gives us the opportunity to do more profoundly and more effectively and more constantly in our lives. And I think that that's why God allows it. God wants your leadership. He just doesn't want your leadership to be fake. And when leadership is done in too easy a basis, it becomes so easy for us to diminish its power by orienting it towards earthly goals, orienting it towards earthly honors, basing it on anything other than the power of Jesus Christ present in our souls, the love of God that's present in our souls. And even if we're doing a secular job, and especially if we're doing a secular job, it doesn't matter if the job be ministerial or secular. Secular, It doesn't matter. What matters is that the leader be a Christian. And a Christian leader is one where God himself has so possessed that soul that whatever we do as Christians, God uses for his glory. And that, my friends, is on the other end of the purification we go through when we encounter constant opposition, rise up and meet it like did St. Paul.
0: Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. I
1: want you to open for me your Bibles here. Let's read together from Acts chapter 17. This is St. Paul in Athens. Remember what happened here? St. Paul, he'd gone through Philippi, walks all over, over the mountains from Philippi to Thessalonica, gets into Thessalonica, and Philippi, he's beaten with rods, thrown into a prison, kicked out of the town. Thessalonica, a mob arises, challenges his friends. He slips out to Berea. In Berea, another mob, this time stirred up by Thessalonica, chases him out of Berea. He has to leave behind his traveling companions. I mean, this is, he's been through a real gauntlet here with physical sufferings. Sometimes I wonder if St. Paul didn't lose his teeth, you know, getting them knocked out in some of these altercations. I don't know Uh, what physicality his body went through. must have been very profound because he arrives in Athens and he's all by himself, right? And what happens? So you'd think at this moment, you see Paul, the leader, kind of like humbly just saying, I'm going to quit. If I was like St. Paul and I'd just gone through this, I'd be a mess. And I'd be saying, why am I doing this? Is it really worth it? You know, and and it's amazing because I think a lot of us do that. When we see it, when we go through opposition, it's almost like we ask ourselves, is it really worth it? I wonder if St. Paul didn't ask that of himself. I don't know. But in the end, what St. Paul gives us in Athens is an incredible testimony to the motivation that lies at his very core. And that is to win souls for God. The opposition that he underwent in Philippi, Thessalonica, then Berea, three towns in a row, getting kicked out of with violence. Right? It was a huge suffering for him. This was not easy. You see, Paul in other places recounting how much it hurt him as he, you know, to to undergo what he went underwent in the different aspects of his ministry. St. Paul was not someone who treated these things lightly. He counted the cost, so to speak. He just kept on giving anyway. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12, where St. Paul outlines this, for example, he was keenly aware. And I think it's important because you and I are keenly aware as well. The problem is not that we're aware of how much it hurts. The question is what you're going to do after you get hurt, it's like Rocky Balboa, right? <laughs> Says in, in Rocky 6, winning is not a question of how hard you hit. It's a question of how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Right? And St. Paul demonstrates this for us, but even more than just blindly or bluntly moving forward, St. Paul becomes even more refined in his zeal. The motivation that's at the heart of this leader Is demonstrated for us. Take a look at Acts 17. In verse 16, it says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's like, look, you know, he's, he's provoked because the reason why he exists is called in question. And it never says, then Paul went back to all of his baggage and he felt so bad for himself saying, oh no, here I go again. Nope. It says Paul being provoked within him, started to reason the synagogue, started to speak with everybody he could in the marketplaces. He made such a splash that it actually says they took a hold of him, verse 19, and brought him to the Arapagus saying, May we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. In verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's a magnificent speech. in it, because what does it show us? It shows us St. Paul's incredible intelligence, his ability to make very dense and precise and in a very easy read the entirety of the gospel message and even more than that he adopts it towards his pagan sophisticated philosophical audience even citing some of their own poets to prove his case this is saint paul who is is on the edge almost like irresistible to the intelligence of his listeners until he gets to the point of faith and there he's refused outright. He says that God raised him from the dead. The people laugh at him. They say, we'll hear this about you some other day because like, you know, you went from something we could easily grasp and, and understand with our minds in a nice logical coherence into this step of saying God raised a man from the dead. And they said, you know, that's just too far from them. My point is not about to focus in on St. Paul's success or failure in his preaching. My, my point is to show that this speech in the Areopagus demonstrates a refined St. Paul, a St. Paul whose persecutions didn't stop him. They brought him to an even keener desire to preach the gospel. He reaches out to wherever these people are looking for God and he brings these people the proclamation of that God for which they search. He meets them where their needs are. He's still hungry. He's still looking and he's looking for any crack or doorway that a person's soul is open to bring them the fulfillment of their desires, Jesus Christ and the gift of God and his grace. And that keen intelligence, that, that edginess of St. Paul's message is wrought by the anvil of God and the, the blows of the circumstances Paul's gone through. His persecution doesn't make his leadership blunt and makes his leadership keen because Paul digs down deep inside and aligns his word with his character, his actions with his identity, his proclamation with his person. And this is something God wants to do through you as well. Take heart.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's org.